Hello, everyone. On today's show, it has been a wild few weeks in college athletics, yet again, with those two little words that are back for another spin, conference realignment. So we're going to break it all down for you and see if we can get everybody maybe back in line. It all starts right now. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hi, everyone. It is Monday, July 18th, 2022. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. I am Missy Heidrich, National Women's Basketball Correspondent with The Next, and so happy to have you here. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter and be sure to follow The Next at The Next Hoops and this podcast at Locked On Women's Basketball. Today, we are gonna look at looking at the recent moves by two of really the most tradition-rich Pac-12 programs in history that are leaving their league in 2024 and moving to the Big Ten, UCLA and USC. How did we get to this point? What are the realities of what happens now? Some of the theories that are out there, and then what happens next? And I am so happy to be joined today by Michelle Smith, a longtime sports journalist who has covered the WNBA and beyond, especially in college athletics and so much more during her career. She lives out on the West Coast, and as I found out today, a proud alum of San Jose State. So Michelle, I wanna start with this. Okay. If I'm sitting here, um, I remember very vividly last year, it was SEC Football Media Day time. It started today. Uh, no one knew what was coming the week after. Everybody just kind of went about their business. And then the Olympics started, and so everybody was following that, and we were enjoying all of the coverage, and then boom, there was leaks, and everybody said, wait a minute, we've got conference realignment back on the table after it had been years of none of this. So when Oklahoma and Texas go to the SEC a year ago, everything scrambled. There was the trickle-down effect. Earlier this month, we get bombshell number two. How did we get to this point with USC and UCLA making a move out of the Pac-12 and into the Big Ten? Well, it was another bombshell, right? So it wasn't, I don't know, there are so many people in the Pac-12 who seem really genuinely surprised about this news. So it's interesting to me that SC and UCLA are having these conversations. They're clearly talking with one another And they're clearly doing a good job of keeping it under wraps because so many people were so surprised that it happened. But this is all, you know, the Pac-12 has struggled from a, this is about TV networks. This is about TV money. This is about the inability of the Pac-12 to get a media deal that that rivals its partner, it's the other power fives. Um, This is about, you know, a decision way back in the day when the Pac-12 network didn't get on direct TV and the entire time that the Pac-12 network has existed, the direct TV deal never happened and it cost the conference money and it cost the conference viewership. And, you know, when you're on the West coast and you have access to this programming, you take for granted, for example, all of my friends on the East coast who say, why can't I get the Stanford Oregon game, right? Why is the Pac-12 network so not available to me? 
but this is about media rights. And SC and UCLA clearly saw an opening. I think the Big Ten is looking to, you know, this whole super conference idea with the SEC and the Big Ten. But it was stunning. And it is stunning. And for somebody who is a West Coast native, who grew up, the idea of SC and UCLA not in the Pac-12 so foreign it's just so like there's a sort of a visceral reaction to it like it doesn't feel it just is so strange and so I think as we go forward we know this is about football it's about football and it's about football and some about men's basketball but mostly it's about football but the impact it's going to have on a conference and for me the hard part here is Women's basketball, all the Olympic sports in which women have been so successful in the Pac-12. I mean, just think, you know, you can run through them. The soccer programs, swimming, you know, just all of these sports, softball, right? All of these sports and the impact that SC and UCLA have on leaving the conference because of football and the ripple effect that it will have on female athletes in this part of the country, I think is it's just, and we haven't figured it out yet, but it feels huge. It really is. And I said this, uh, I, I wrote a piece for the next just a couple days after this announcement was made. And my point was, is that this is, it is, it's about football and it's about money. And in both theory and in practice, those things actually make sense because we're talking about exposure, which comes with the television and long-term financial stability. And that financial stability in um, an environment of collegiate athletics and higher education, which is ever-changing and ever-moving, I think really does hit home to the point. One of the things that I find interesting was out of last year's moves and realignments, you had the alliance that was created, the Big Uh Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC. So everyone was very excited, looking forward to years of collective scheduling and focusing on key marquee games, which in the women's basketball world was going to be fantastic. You were going right. to see some great matchups. Now, all of a sudden, two of those Pac-12 teams go to the Big Ten. Nobody knows where that sits. And Nobody knows. And some of those old conversations that aren't even a year old now just have really no validity to that. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're starting over again in a lot of ways. And you know, so it'll be interesting. But, you know, I mean, we we hear, we talk about women's basketball a lot. But I think the reality is, I understand that the Pac-12 network hasn't been good for, hasn't been good for football, perhaps hasn't been great for men's basketball. Pac-12 network has been a huge boon for Pac-12 women's basketball. It really has. The coaches will credit it. The elevation of the Pac-12, the number of teams that they've put in the Final Four in the last eight to ten years, the number of teams in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, the you know the the years that the conference has been the best in the country. Not every year, but there have been a few years of late where this is the best conference in the country. All of the coaches will credit the Pac-12 network for elevating the entire conference. The Pac-12 network has been good for other sports in the Pac-12, such as gymnastics, Mm -hmm. UCLA, the Utah gymnastics program, right? Like the network exposure has worked well for some of the women's in the Olympic sports. It hasn't done as well for what we, I guess we all consider the moneymakers, right? And so that's what ends up messing up what I think is a pretty good thing for women's sports and Olympic sports in the Pac-12. This is going to be you know, if you're Corey Close and if you're Liz, Lindsay Gottlieb, the women's coaches at UCLA and USC, you know, 
you're thinking about your quality of student athlete. Neither one of these are easy schools. They're right. top academic schools. You're going to pull your kids out of class more often. You're going to have them on the road. You're going to be playing, you know, ever you're going to be playing your basketball season primarily, you know, by traveling, you know, east at least two time zones the majority of the time. Like, you know, and, and this is not true just for women's basketball, but it's going to be true for all of the smaller sports with much lengthier schedules. Football is a, you know, 12-week proposition. You play four or five home games. I don't know. I just, I'm really struggling with this still. It's just a, it, you know, it's a philosophical struggle, obviously, but we're not talking about philosophy here. And we've never have been talking about philosophy here. And what's best for student athletes is not necessarily what conferences perceive as best for them. So, you know, it's, it's all pretty, it's all pretty messy right now. You're absolutely right. Okay. I want to talk about that student athlete experience in just a moment. So we're going to talk about uh, maybe a few of the theories, some of the reality that really does exist right there. But first, for everyone out there, betonline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. You can find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews and news, including what's the NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. The All-Star Game is coming up and the second half of the season is almost here. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And betonline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. I don't know if anybody had Cameron Smith, the Aussie, winning the Open, the 150th Open, but those that did, I'm sure they paid well. Congratulations to them. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. I am Missy Heydrich, and thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Which NFL stars move the betting line the most? Well, starting July 18th, which is today, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th on Locked On NFL, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. All right, Michelle Smith, we were just talking about that student athlete experience, and I think that that's such an interesting dive into this. Now, there's been a couple of things that have been reported. There was um, an article in the LA Times that went out at the end of the month when this was all announced, um, and it referenced a $62.5 million deficit for UCLA athletics in fiscal year 2021. Now, a lot of those um, reasons for that for the, that downfall are a lot of what many college athletic programs all across the country have been dealing with. You had a global pandemic. You might have lack of attendance. They've got stadium yeah. issues in UCLA. They had a multi-million dollar Under Armour deal that went south that they were that they no longer received any money from. Right. But the concept was, and the topic was, if maybe this move doesn't happen, is UCLA one of the most storied programs in the nation and in history uh -huh. looking at cutting sports? That's something that hasn't been part of the conversation at all in any of this. But it seems to me that now we really know that maybe why this was driven so hard and so fast. Yeah. I mean, you know, and there's and we've and we've seen different experiences with that, even within the Pac-12 in the last couple of years. You know, Stanford tried to cut sports and its alumni and its former athletes. I mean, it was a months long siege at Stanford over the decision to cut sports because of, and, and it's different because UCLA is a public 
university and Stanford's obviously a private university, but you've got, but you're still facing these situations where you're talking about cutting in, in athletic programs that just aren't used to doing that. UCLA has a hugely robust athletic program. So the thought of cutting sports really, really is very painful thought. And maybe they're watching what happened in Stanford and Stanford had to back off and they raised a ton of money, you know, they raised a ton of alumni money and they raised a ton of endowment money to be able to save those sports after, by the way, getting ridiculed publicly by Julie Foudy and Andrew Luck. And, you know, I mean, it just was, you know, and the Uguma case, like nobody wanted to see that happen at Stanford and it was really public for Stanford. And so at UCLA, you know, with the similar academic profile and the similar sort of athletic department profile, you know, I can understand that that's, more painful and you look for a different solution. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not uncomplicated, but I will also say, you know, you've got a UCLA here that's got, that's going to make this move with its, with its partner in USC as travel partner from the PAC 12. What is a school like Cal going to do? Cal is not, you know, Cal is not that different from UCLA in profile in number of sports that it offers but has its own significant budget issues um, from attendance and stadium issues and, you know, all the whole thing. So, you know, like what's, you know, what works for USC and UCLA can be decimating to the Cal's, the Oregon States, the Washington States, right? Like what's going to happen to the PAC 12 when you hear about the big 12 suddenly being interested in the Arizona's and the four corner schools. Mm-hmm. And then you just say, you know, like I've been imagining a scenario where there's no PAC 12. What? I, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. a really, I mean, you know, you say all these things out loud because they need to be said out loud. What's Tar the end of your thinking? Mm-hmm. I mean, Tar has been, there's no bigger champion for this conference in literally. And then in just, you know, the way that she's handled herself and constantly championed the Pac-12, you know, so Tara's looking at, you know, Pac-12 schedules that don't include, you know, I'm sure they'll probably try and schedule, but you don't have USC and UCLA on your schedule anymore. And what happens if the rest of it falls apart? And, you know, where does Stanford go? And I mean, you know, Oregon and Washington, these are, you know, these are all, I mean, the questions that just follow from this, there's so many things that have to be worked out. And, you know, a lot of them lead to no more Pac-12, which is just weird to me. (laughs) It's incredibly strange. And I think I go back to a year ago when we sat here and we're talking about the Texas and Oklahoma move leaving, you know, because those are, I mean, Oklahoma for sure, one of the original members of the Big 8, then goes to the Big 12. You've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, they have Bedlam. That's the in-state rivalry, right? And in the Midwest and also even on the West Coast, those things are important. That's Uh what people look at, right? That's what fans collace around. These are things that we talk about. But now all of a sudden, if I'm, uh, as you said, Corey Close, or I'm Lindsay Gottlieb, and now I have to have a conversation with a potential recruit and their parents or their guardians and say, well, the the good thing is, is that they're going to be on TV all the time because they're going to be on the Big Ten Network. However, when they play Rutgers in Piscataway, New Jersey, that game starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time. That's mm-hmm. four o'clock on the on the West Coast. What do most parents, guardians, people, what are they doing at four o'clock? They're at work. Right. So now all of a sudden you have to start thinking about the geographical footprint and what recruiting does. And I can't seem to think that that's going to be an easy conversation for some of these coaches to have. Well, and what's interesting is the Pac-12 has gotten very good 
in the last 10 years or so at keeping West kids at West Coast kids at home. Yes. Um, there have been a lot of West Coast kids who have stayed. You know, I mean, if you want to talk about, I mean, Kelsey Plum, a Southern California kid. You've got a kid like Jordan Canada. I mean, you've got Haley Jones. I mean, you know, you can run up and down the list, but the California kids have been staying in the Pac-12. And um, so because a lot of them like the idea of being close to home. They like the idea of their parents being able to come to, you know, come to your games or to take, you know, get on high five and drive up to the Bay area and see it, right? Like all of that plays a part of it. And so does, you know, while football recruiting may get easier because of exposure, does basketball recruiting get harder because you're not, because you can't tell them that they're going to be so close to home anymore. They're going to spend half their season on a plane. I mean, remember the conversations we had during the pandemic about Stanford's, you know, and, and I'm not likening, you know, a 90 day COVID, you know, journey to, yeah. but you know, the, the flights and the travel and the, all of those things, like for a student athlete, that's wear and tear on your body. That's wear and tear on your academics. Because if you're not a WNBA draft pick and you're at UCLA or USC, you're kind of hoping to get that degree. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like, I mean, it just is, um, it just, I have so many questions. <laughs> And I don't, and I don't have a lot of the answers yet because I don't think we we're we're not through the fog of it yet, right? But yeah. I have so many questions about how this works for the student athletes. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, and I think one other person that seems to have had questions about this is the governor of uh -huh. California, who has come out and not been, uh, let's say, overly pleased. It seems with some of the decisions and the announcements that were made. And maybe you can enlighten everybody and just giving us a little bit of a snapshot of how the, the, the collegiate and the state systems work in California, because it is different than a lot of other people have. I live in, I live in the Kansas City area, in Kansas specifically. There's a board of regents that covers the, the, the public institutions across the state. There's only 3.2 million people in the state of Kansas. California, a whole different ballgame. Right. So the UC regents govern the University of California schools, of which UCLA is a member, of which Cal is a member, of which, you know, any of the UC, UC San Diego, obviously the, U, you know, the UC schools up and down the state. Um, and but that board of regents, you know, there's a big connection to the state. Their funding is connected to the state. You know, it, it's just in a state as big as California and that UC system. There is a, there are large tendrils to state government, to legislation, to legislators, to governor's office. And, you know, the other part of this, I will say, is that Governor Newsom has been on a bit of a tear lately. And, you know, I mean, he's making himself, you know, he's been really, really public on a lot of issues. He's been challenging some of the national and the national political scene. He bought a huge ad in Florida, which really got people wondering what his bigger aspirations are. But I think he's feeling a little bit emboldened by the voice and, you know, and I think this is another one of those moments where when he says something, people pay attention. And so it'll be interesting to see what pressure California and the, the governor's office and the legislature can bring to bear on the UC regents about this move, because we know that it doesn't benefit and will actually harm some of the other UCs and their ability to fundraise and their ability to, um, you know, make up deficits and all of that stuff. I mean, again, you know, we're talking about, you know, you're talking about the difference between UCLA and Cal. Yeah. And what's great for UCLA is going to be devastating financially for Cal. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, I think all of those things are part of a conversation in a way that maybe they aren't in other places. And UCLA is going to find itself in a different spot than SC because SC is a private university and SC can do what it wants to do. Um, and UCLA maybe thought it could do what it wanted to do. And I'm not sure how much the governor is going to have to say about that. Well, and you just can't live in a vacuum. You know, that's I think that's the other part of this. These decisions are not made in a vacuum of one stop shopping, that there is going to be a trickle down effect. And whether that is with other institutions there in, in the state of California. But as I said, I think I think the biggest bang seems to be that it's going to be about the other schools right now in the Pac-12 trying to figure out what happens next. And right. we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, I'm Missy Heydrich, and I am here with Michelle Smith, and we have been talking about conference realignment. We did this a year ago, SEC, Big 12, all sorts of moves. The Big 12 went on the offensive when they had to. They found four schools to join so that when Texas and Oklahoma leave in 25 or even sooner, that they can they can manage that. They get themselves back to 12. Now we've got the Pac-12 here, Michelle, who's minus two of their most prominent programs. And whether or not they can keep the rest of it cobbled together is the question. But I think one of the other things that we said at the very top of this show, when we think about student athlete experience and we think about other things, one of the things that crossed my mind that not a lot of people think about in this realm is what happens to some of those minor Olympic sports? Where do those student athletes go to compete? Because I can tell you that water polo is not a sport that is sponsored by the Big Ten. So if you are a student athlete at UCLA or at USC and all everybody is doing, hey, this is awesome. We're going to the Big Ten. Oh, but maybe not necessarily you guys. Right. What does that, I mean, that fallout to me seems like it may even be worse before right. it's all done. Yeah. And, you know, and SC being such prominent water polo school and, you know, I mean, it's, you know, they're going to have to make arrangements, right? They're going to have to have, you're going to have in a, in a large athletic department with a variety of sports, you're going to have to say, all right, you guys are staying back here and you're going to play in the Pac-12 and the rest of us are going to go here. You're going to create these divides and these divisions in your athletic department and who's playing in what conference. And, and I know that's not unusual to some degree. I mean, I know that there have been in minor sports, there are conference alignments and some, you know, West Western Mountain West conference alignments and things. I mean, it's not out of, it's not out of the realm. It's just, again, going to be a completely new experience for a conference that has been the, you know, absolute leader in the aggregate in the Olympic sports space, yes. right? Like it's not universally true. Obviously the SEC, you know, softball, and you can give other examples, but in that wider Olympic sports space, there is no more dominant conference than the PAC 12. And so it's, um, you know, it's going to require, I think, a lot of maneuvering. And I think some of those maneuvers are going to be painful. Absolutely. So that pain still, I think, is being felt because I think a lot of people are still scrambling. They're scrambling behind doors. We're not exactly sure what a lot of these conversations were because we know UCLA and USC were talking about it for months in advance. Uh -huh. And then they drop the bombshell on everybody and then just kind of wait for the dust to settle. But as we were talking about earlier, when you look at the t the total trajectory of this, where does a Cal or a Stanford, if the Pac-12 disintegrates and there is no more, mm -hmm. what are going to be some of the best options for the rest of the schools that are in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, 
it's hard to know the answer to that. You know, do you imagine, for example, that those schools join the West Coast Conference? Do you imagine that all of a sudden Stanford's a Mountain West school? Does Stanford join the Ivies, which is different though, because Stanford offers scholarship, right? Like, does it, and that doesn't solve their, that doesn't solve any student athlete experience problem because then they're doing the West, the West yeah. to East Coast thing, right? Like, I mean, the number of scenarios, which is why I think, and what we're hearing right now is that the PAC 10 schools that are remaining are working really, really hard to pull it in. And, um, and make a media deal perhaps in, you know, make a joint media deal with the ACC was one of the last things that we heard, you know, the talk to ESPN about making a joint media deal and partnering with another conference and having that sort of alliance now turn into something even broader and more hopefully financially viable. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's going to involve, you know, but you're going to have to go to Oregon and Washington and say, hang on, we're trying to figure it out. Because I think those two schools are maybe, you know, while the Big 12 might be interested in the Arizonas and the Colorados and the Utahs, I think that Oregon's a big fish for somebody and Washington's a big fish for somebody. And, you know, do they, you know, can you hold on to them long enough that this whole thing doesn't just start to crumble? Um, But, you know, I think that you've got a list of schools that, you know, and I just think it's really interesting who those schools are at this point, but you've got. Washington State, Oregon State, mm-hmm. you've got Cal, and weirdly, you've got Stanford. And what, you know, like, where does Stanford go in this puzzle? Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I have, I've had conversations with folks because the question has been, well, they would just, I, I think that they would be a very viable candidate for the Big Ten. And I, and I think to myself, I'm like, if I'm sitting at Northwestern, I don't know if I, you know, they consider themselves kind of the Stanford of the Midwest kind of right. idea. Right. So I don't think they're going to welcome them with open arms. No, no. And I, I just, you know, and, and then down South, I mean, you know, you've got, you know, obviously the LA's you've got Arizona, Arizona state, but like, you know, I mean, those schools could, I imagine a scenario where they fit into a big 12 puzzle of some kind or whatever. Right. But you've got these other schools in the top half of, you know, geographically in the top half of the conference and there just aren't any like obvious fits. So no. I guess it's just going to, you know, I'm, I'm still disappointed that we're here. Yeah. Um, I'm still disappointed that, you know, we are women's basketball people. So when I watch football driving the train, when I watch a sport that's going to get played when, you know, 12 weeks out of the year impacting everything and you hope that, you know, I guess the money's worth it for folks. I mean, I guess we're just, you know, I don't know. I'm too idealistic for all of this realignment stuff because it just, you know, it's painful and it's going to hurt and it's going to hurt a lot of people. It's going to hurt a lot of athletes that aren't going to benefit from the money that's pouring in, in the same way that, you know, some of the major sports and the big meat and potato sports are. No, I a hundred percent agree. And I feel like when, you know, this happened, Oh, you know, 10 years ago or what, you know, it seems Mm -hmm. like forever ago that maybe we were kind of done and then a year and then last year and the trickle down and and we saw it in maybe the SEC and the Big 12 had the big punch, but then it was the Ohio Valleys and the Missouri Valleys and the Ace and the Atlantic Suns and the Conference USA's. Mm -hmm. Those were the, the, the leagues of which then saw the trickle down because again, people scramble. I'm looking for its self-preservation at that point in time. And hats off to a lot of these administrators and university presidents, chancellors, and athletic directors who said, you know what, we've got to do what's best for our programs. 
-hmm. for our long-term viability. And they made those decisions. Now, if I was going to look at it strictly with my women's basketball glasses, I could say, if I'm UCLA and I'm USC, Corey Close and Lindsey Gottlieb at their two programs, I'm thinking, wow, it's not like I'm getting any easier. You know, I might be avoiding Oregon and I might be avoiding Stanford and not have to play them twice a year. But now you've got to go to Michigan and you've got Maryland and you've got Indiana and you've got these. This is not a women's basketball league that is left for nothing. It continues to get better when you look at the Big Ten. Well, and then look at, you know, I mean, we talk about that realignment. I mean, I don't think that being in the American East Conference did Connecticut's women's basketball program any favors. How many championships have they won? How many, you know, I mean, I just don't think that move and then their, I mean, you know, it's all relative with Connecticut, right? But when you stack up national championships and you win them year after year and you're expected to win them year after year, and you have a long drought despite this year's run to the championship game or whatever, but like, I don't think being in that conference did them any favors being in a, you know, getting jostled around trying to figure out where you belong, having, you know, and then ending up in a conference that wasn't well suited to you. Correct. Um, you know, I don't think that ended up ultimately doing that program any favors in the short term and back, being back in the big East will probably help them once again, right. Being back in, in a spot that's a better fit for them, but Correct. you're being forced some of these schools are going to be forced into conference situations that simply aren't a good fit for them now. Right. Um, and how is that going to benefit or hurt those programs? And, and I think it comes down to recruiting. You look at that geographical footprint, you look at the competition factors, you know, you can look at it. And I, I think the big 10 continues to, attract top talent. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done a really good job of keeping players and potential student athletes in the Midwest in those areas or those geographical sections. You know, look at Ohio State. Again, they weren't in the tournament two years ago because they had to self-report. They're right. back in this year. But not only have they used the portal, but they're keeping kids close to home. It's right. the same idea that your West Coast schools have been able to do. But now all of a sudden, this picture changes and that exposure opportunity changes and where I look, and I, I just think that it is not necessarily going to be an easy road for UCLA and USC no, headed to the Big Ten in 24. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. I think it's going to be, you know, and I think that those Big Ten schools are going to say, mm, now I got to compete with, now I've got to compete with California right? and California weather and kids that want to play in this conference, but are like, well, I could play here. Or I could go out and spend the majority of my time in California. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I just think it's going to get, it's just weird all the way around, Missy. It is. It's very strange. It is incredibly strange. I wish that we could solve it. I don't think we totally can. Um, But I am very thankful that you came on here to have this conversation (laughs) with me. Um, Michelle, where does everybody find you on a daily basis? Well, you're going to find me on Twitter right now at MaxSmith413, where I am. Um, I'm wandering through the women's basketball universe. I am, um, during the fall, I will be back with Pac12.com, um, taking a little bit of a WNBA break for the second half of this season while I start a new job at San Jose State, go Spartans. Um, and then we're going to be back on, and um, I may end up doing some things for the next. So we'll see. Awesome. Well, you'll be able to hopefully find Michelle plus all of the other amazing people that I get a chance to call colleagues and friends at the next. You can find us at Next Hoops. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Locked on Women's Basketball. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on today. And thank you, all of you, for watching and listening and making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. I am Missy Heydrich. 
Please join us for more episodes this week. The final weeks of the regular WNBA season are upon us. You'll be able to find everything that you need to know right here with us at Locked On Women's Basketball. And for your second listen, get up to date on the latest news and rumors in the NBA in just 30 minutes every day with Locked On NBA. Locked On NBA is your daily NBA update in just 30 minutes. Thank you so much for watching and listening. We will see you again soon. Stay with us at Locked On for everything you need to know in the women's basketball world.